So you need to have uh, you need to have good boots on the ground. You need to have uh, people who will monitor the execution of the scope of work and the and the business plan. So when we closed on it, I laid the groundwork to be able to monitor because I knew exactly what each apartment need. Not just the vacant one, even the one that were occupied because I inspected them. What's going on, guys? This is Passive Wealth Strategies for Busy Professionals. Thank you for tuning in. Today, our guest is Hadar Orkidi. Hadar has done so much as a real estate investor. Today, we're talking about long-distance real estate investing. And we're not saying long distance in terms of buying a house, a rental property, the next town over. No, Hadar invests in the US while being based in New Zealand, which is really incredible. I mean, we have folks out there that are living in California looking to invest in you know Arizona or New Mexico, something like that, having a hard time with it. Well, if Hadar can do it from New Zealand, you can do it from wherever you are. And that's what we're talking about today. He's going to bring to you some of the very important, the most important lessons that he's learned over time building that portfolio here in the US and building a successful business. And he still lives in New Zealand. He's he travels to the US to come see his properties, but he's still in New Zealand, still owns considerable amount of property here in the US. It's really incredible and uh, not something that a lot of folks have gotten done. And you're going to learn a lot today about buying real estate from long distance real estate investing. There we go. To everybody out there, if you're new to the show, I'm your host, Taylor Lote. I'm a real estate investor, a real estate syndicator. I buy real estate with passive investors and split the return all about supporting you getting into these real estate investments, no matter the strategy that is right for you, you know what's best for you. And today, if you're somebody who wants to invest from a long distance and wants to build that portfolio, build that business, Hadar is gonna teach you how to do it. Without any further ado, here we go with Hadar Orkidi from mfiholding.com. Hadar, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it, Tyler. Looking forward to it. I'm so excited to talk with you. We've been talking here 20 minutes, just uh, connecting and, and learning about what you do. And I'm excited for the listeners today. You have so much to teach us. Before we dive into it, can you tell us a bit about your background and some of the things that you've done in real estate so our listeners know where you're coming from? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. So um, I was born and raised in Israel. And my, but my mom was uh, born in Chicago. So that's how I came to uh, investing in the U.S. through uh, being uh, an American citizen by birth from my mom. Uh, I was able to uh, travel to the States whenever I want. And also at some point when I decided to pull the trigger and really, really invest in the U.S., I was able to, uh, to do business and borrow money and uh, gradually build my credit score and all that, which will allow me to, uh, to start operating in the U.S. So it would have been harder if I wasn't uh, a U.S. citizen, but I am. Uh, back in the early 2000s, uh, when I was still living in Israel with, with my uh, now wife, then uh, girlfriend, we decided to go on a, on a, on a trip, uh, on a vacation, and we went to New Zealand. My wife's sister was already living in New Zealand. Uh, so once we arrived, we really uh, decided that it's a, it's a very nice place. Israel was uh, quite a turmoil back in the early 2000s. And uh, we, we decided that it would be a nice place to uh, start a family. And uh, we immigrated. So 
when we arrived to New Zealand, I uh, I was working a lot in manual labor. I was uh, I was really uh, trying to get my feet wet uh, with, uh, with 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 feeling. How is it to to live in a country so far away? And I wasn't used to living in the country because we we actually I was grew up in Tel Aviv, which is a it's a big city, and I did a lot of horticultural work, like in the vineyards and orchards of central Otago. In the same time, I started educating myself about real estate because back in New Zealand, in Israel, sorry, I was a licensed real estate agent for about a year and a half before we came to New Zealand. Um, I like the idea of, uh, of real estate, but I, I quickly saw that being an agent is kind of a commission-based business, transactional. And I, I quickly noticed that there's more money made on the other side by actually owning the real estate, perhaps even fix and flipping, and then long-term investing for, uh, for passive income. So I started educating myself uh, in New Zealand, started wholesaling in the beginning, doing a lot of uh, assignments of contracts for fee, anything from 5,000 to 20,000. Gradually did some uh, double closing, contemporaneous closing, which is basically also not taking uh, uh, possession and ownership of the property for a long time, maybe for about 10 minutes once they transfer the titles from the seller to you. And then you on sell it to the, to the end buyer, as we call. And when you do contemporaneous closing, double closing, typically the margins are bigger. So slowly but surely, I started to accumulate some more uh, cash for down payments. And I had ended up uh, starting to build my buy and hold portfolio in New Zealand. And uh, I also created the We Buy Houses version of New Zealand, which is uh, webuyproperty.co.nz. And that used to be the platform for my uh, funnel for my uh, for my flipping business that I built in New Zealand over the last uh, decade and a half, 15 years. So, yeah, so basically I'm still flipping probably two or three houses in New Zealand. The houses here, you know, the, the, the value and the profit margin are typically uh, larger than what uh, people do in the States. I was surprised when I came to the state that people flip houses to make 20 or, you know, 15 or 20 grand. Because the houses cost sometimes 30, 50, or 60,000, you know, in, 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 uh, in some places, of course, in California and Denver and other places, it costs much more. But so you expect higher profit margins. So I still do that. And that's kind of an autopilot. It's, it's kind of my W2, if you, if you like, but um, <laughs> it works fine. I, I automated it and I got teams on the ground. Over the years, I accumulated a portfolio of a small multifamily and uh, some commercial real estate in New Zealand. Got to the point about uh, five years ago that uh, New Zealand, the New Zealand real estate market, especially in the big town center and the big cities where I invest, is really matured. So the, the values have increased and the cap rates compressed. Uh, the market matured to be more like a San Francisco, Boston, LA kind of San Francisco demand. You know, it's just house prices now, the median house prices in Auckland is close to a million bucks now, just recently really, really past the, the 900 that it was for the last couple of years. So if you want to go and buy a house, you need to pay 30 or 40% down payment. They also keep playing with the loan to value here in New Zealand. They're changing it. The Reserve Bank is changing it all the time to try and cool the market. So long story short, I decided that uh, my money would go a long way or longer, if you like, if I go and uh, have a go and educate myself on the US market, because over there in the States, if you like, that's how I'm thinking. You can actually buy assets which the price to rent ratios makes much more sense. Their cash flow better, the returns are better, the cap rates are better. Of course, depend depends where you invest. 
and, uh, and and I can I can keep growing my 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 cash flow and my business, which in New Zealand with with four four three maybe five cup if you're lucky on on uh, on residential even small residential multifamily you can't go too far. So that's when I pivoted, got myself educated, pulled the trigger, and started making it happen in the U.S. Awesome, and you've been investing long distance in the U.S. for some time now quite successfully. And that's just incredible. And in many of the real estate forums that I'm involved with online, we have folks join from overseas and ask about getting started investing in the U.S. Or we have people kind of like you were alluding to in California, investing in more affordable higher cap rate, higher return areas of the U.S., still within the U.S., but long distance nonetheless. And I wanted to talk today about how to make it happen with long distance investing. I mean, if if you can do it from New Zealand, how does anybody, you know, you're on the opposite side of the globe. How does somebody in California have an excuse when they're looking at buying in Phoenix or something like that? Like, let's be real. So let's dive into it and talk about some of those things that uh, made you a successful long distance investor. Yes, sure, Tyler. The the first thing the first thing you need to to understand is that it's a mindset thing. You need to have the right mindset for a few reasons. First of all, you need to break your limited belief that it's not doable. It's doable, and I'm I'm the proof to do it. You know, that's number one. Number two is you need to prepare, uh, to to be prepared to be committed to it because, like anything in real estate, you know, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. If you want to build build a buy and hold portfolio, you want to be able to withstand the, the the length that it takes to to actually get established, build those relationships, creating deal flow, and really, really uh, starting a business because that's what you're doing. You need to take it seriously. If you want to be successful, you need to put the systems in place and really understand where you're going. So I think that uh, the mindset is very important. Sometimes when you are getting yourself familiarized, even if you stabilize yourself in the market, sometimes, especially in a competitive market, uh, there is big breaks before drinks, as we say. You know, it could take a while until you find your next deal. So um, uh, the mindset is very important. One of the ways to, uh, to get yourself uh, in the right mindset is to keep focusing on your, um, on your, on, on your environment, if you like. Like, like uh, uh, being participating of some local RIA, your investment group, if you like, or even the, the investment group in your chosen market. We not necessarily have to touch now about how to choose a market unless you want me to, but you know, getting yourself surrounded by like-minded people is very, very important. Whether you are in bigger pockets, whether you are in a specific mastermind, or whether you are really networking within your local area, because that's the foundation that helps you to stay current and to to stay uh, to stay focused on, on on your goal. It's very, very, very important. The second thing is to uh, once once you you did that and you got yourself educated which I'm a great believer of education I think education is uh, is just uh, you really want to leverage your 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 time and you can leverage your 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 growth if you like by uh, by 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 learning from people who's been there done that and you can leverage their expertise and knowledge to propel you to where you want to be and avoid some pitfall and avoid mistakes that will cost you dearly so once you've chosen a market, which there's a whole segment that we teach, you know, in the, in the mastermind, but I'm also teaching it on a, on a free education course that I can share with your uh, with your listeners. It's, it's, a, it's a download of a video I've, I've done and and, um, and an ebook that they can have for free, and I cover everything there. 
But one of the things is once you establish which market you're going to choose through the metrics that you're looking for, uh, it's very important to um, build the right team on the ground. Because the team on the ground, the A team, is the number one thing that you need if you're investing out of area. I mean, I got a buddy of mine, we just underwritten, uh, in that case, a mobile home park in, uh, in Arizona, and he's, he's five and a half hours away. So, you know, and he had to travel three times within the due diligence and the negotiation uh, time frame. We, we, we're probably going to, you know, potentially going to partner on this deal. Um, so, so you need to be prepared. In my case, I got a different sequence of events before I start to travel because I'm living 15 hours away. But I'm still prepared to travel. So it's very, very important to be prepared to travel if you if you decide to invest out of area. But before we touch on that, I just want to mention that your team on the ground, you need you need to have a, a good property manager if you're going to use a third-party property manager. You want to have part of your team, you want to have a good lenders that you can work with, and you need to establish those relationships early on. One of the ways to do it is to have this let's say two or three lenders that you met in person, you have a good relationship with by referrals. And all, by the way, everything you want to achieve in the market, you need to get referrals to as, as a starting point. When I started, I jumped on bigger pockets. I made friends. I went to the market. I met people for lunch. I bought them lunch. I bought them coffee. And they referred me to different property management, different lenders they introduced me to, different brokers, different handymen. Some of those of those persons that I met through bigger pockets, for example, now we are good buddies. Every time I come, some some of them is a very good friend. We're doing some deals together. We actually I'm staying with him sometime, and uh, we're going a lot for dinners and and drinks or whatever we want to do. So those relationships very important because if you're not there, especially, you want to be able to have a network that could support you. Again, leveraging people's and and their expertise and knowledge. So again, we're going to touch brokers, property manager, number one, you want to leverage their market knowledge. You have to. They want to be managing your property. You want to get to know them. You want to be able to ask them, hey, how is this area? What rents could we expect? Hey, if we do those improvements to this apartment, can we get another 20 or $30 rent bumps? What's the demand? How would one bedroom be in this particular location? Would that location, we will have high occupancy if we, if we majority of one bedroom or not? Do we need washer and dryer hookups? Do we need to provide this? Very, very, very important to have a good property manager. Now, with the lenders, you want to go early on. You want to go and open a bank account with them. And uh, even if you are, um, if you if you if you don't have a property to buy right now, but you've chosen your market, go and open a bank account. Put a thousand dollar or five thousand dollar in the bank. Get a secured credit card, even if they don't want to give you a credit card because they don't know you, which happened to me. I put a thousand dollar in. And they gave me a $500 credit uh, visa card, if you, in that point, with $500 credit. So what do, uh, I'm sorry, yeah, you know, credit to use. So what did I do? I did a, a small subscription of a monthly payment, in that case, bigger pockets, to pay on a monthly basis. And the reason is because that utilization of the card shows them that you're active, shows them that you pay your uh, your bills on time, and you're already an existing client. You have a profile with them, which is very, very important. And that actually, the proof is in the pudding. When I uh, had my, my latest acquisition, not latest, actually, the latest was a mobile home park we closed in two days ago in Tennessee. But one before that, I bought uh, 45 units. And uh, it was very heavy lifting, was very, because there was 30% vacancy and the rents were very low and the entry cap rate was low because of those, those metrics. So. 
two banks, I had three banks lined up to fund it. Two banks backed up because of committee. They didn't want to, you know, they weren't, they weren't sure about uh, me performing because I'm out of area. I didn't have a, re- a relationship with them yet. And uh, they also, they were worried about the, the, the low vacancy and, the, and all of that. So, I'm sorry, the high vacancy. But the bank that came to the table was the bank I had a relationship with. And they funded it. They funded it. I had to bring some reserves and I had to bring, you know, some down payment. The terms weren't ideal. They funded it and uh, it saved my bacon. You know, it made the deal work. So now I'm refining it 12 months later, pulling up all my money up out plus a little bit more and, uh, and built a significant amount of equity from the deal because I had a relationship. They worked with me. And that's the key. Is stabilizing those relationships in the in the marketplace. There's many others that I can include here, but we'll leave that for the course and the and the ebook. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're not going to get the full story of we're not going to go buy a property based on a 20 minute conversation. But this is just uh, getting everybody started. One of the big questions, though, I wonder about is managing a property manager from the other side of the planet. Our property managers, you know, we're on the phone with them once a week, just to make sure everything's going well, keep in touch, you know, all that type of thing. If you're on the other side of the planet and, you know, time zones and everything, how do you handle that and, and managing your property manager, make sure, making sure things are actually happening once you've closed on the deal? Very, very, very good question, Tyler. That's actually one of my strengths, if not my, my biggest strength in terms of that. I'm an asset manager. So I'm on the phone with them weekly. I got key performance indicators that I monitor regularly to make sure that they're on track. A lot of the work that... Look, when we bought the property, it, needs, it needed a lot of heavy lifting. There was vacancies. There were units to be turned. So when we, when we did the due diligence, I came, I took videos of, videos of every single unit and I made notes in the videos. I, I started writing it down on a sheet that I created like a, a, a unit inspection sheet. But quickly I got tired of it because you need to do so many of them, <laughs> you know? So, so I, 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 then I just ramped up the videos and every video is saved in a Dropbox folder, you know, apartment 101, 102, 103, so on and so forth. So when we turned the unit, uh, we, we just knew exactly what we we're going to do. Some of, the, some of the work that needed to be done, I subcontracted. So I contacted the flooring company. I contact a handyman, which now is a very, very um, important part of my team. Um, Eddie, he's got a lot of videos from Eddie. If you go to my YouTube channel, uh, link on the mihmastermind.com website. We have a lot of videos because that's how we communicate. He does jobs for me and then he takes videos. Some of the videos now he created, he created like it's content for me. Even he say, Hey, MIH mastermind people have a look here, you know, because he knows me and, we, and he's great. So, so you need to have, uh, you need to have good boots on the ground. You need to have uh, people who will monitor the execution of the scope of work and the, and the business plan. So when we closed on it, I laid the groundwork to be able to monitor because I knew exactly what each apartment need. Not just the vacant one, even the one that were occupied because I inspected them. And when somebody, some resident moved out because we started increasing rent and, they, you know, perhaps they felt that they want to move. Some of them did and, and we are happy they did because they weren't a good fit for the community. I already knew what it needs and I already knew which contra- construct, uh, uh, subcontractor we're going to use, which one I bring and which one I commission and pay for and which one the property manager will bring, which is mainly the paintings and, and other uh, things that uh, I know they can do faster and better. So, so that's number one. Number two, 
Um, like I said, we communicate regularly. He's like an on-site. The, the property does not have an on-site manager, does not ha have an on-site uh, maintenance. Uh, but uh, having an Eddie, for example, I'm able to jump on the WhatsApp with him, which is like FaceTime, uh, but it has a voice messages option, which is like a walkie-talkie. So when he's there and he wants to send me a message, say, hey, Hadar, we have this issue. You know, how, how do you want to address it? These are the options. Straight away, I pick it up. Or go on a FaceTime with him, you know, video tool, look at it. Or I send him a message what I need, what needs to be done. And once we closed on the property as well, I flew back to the States. I spent there for about two or three weeks and I leaving the repositioning. I was spending time monitoring it. I was taking my lenders through the project, even the one that didn't approve one of them, because that's the one I'm refinancing now with. It's a, it's a credit union. I knew I want to refi with them because they offer better terms. They offer 25-year amortization. They offer a, a very low interest rate. They're regulated a little bit different than uh, normal banks, traditionally bank uh, the credit unions. So they can offer flexible terms. I'm refining with them now. I'm not going agency yet because I'm not seasoned enough. The deal is not seasoned enough. It needs to be two years with the ownership to be able to go to agency, Freddie or Fanny, and be able to, to pull maximum maximum cash out refi. So I'm only one year in and I'm going to go with them for now. So I took him through, I showed them. I even took a couple of brokers that I have relationship with, walked them through the property and showed them. And they quickly see that everybody knows me over there because I spent some time there and I grabbed the bull by the horn. And, and really, really, if the painter missed somewhere behind the fridge or behind the range or, or, be, or inside the cabinet, I'll be the first one to point it out and tell them to do that. So, um, so, so that's how we do it. You have to be present. You have to be uh, in place and, uh, and make sure that you are uh, involved in the, in, the, in the asset management part of the, of the property management. My property managers got reasonably uh, used to working with me now. Uh, we do things in a certain order. We have key performance indicators of occupancy, vacancy, rent growth, uh, which, which leases, for example, are due to renew. So we monitor the future vacancies, we call it, something very important. We created the, a system that sent us a reminder, uh, if you like, 60 or 90 days prior to the renewal that we are able to contact the resident and ask them, hey, do you want to renew? or should we start advertising? And uh, we created systems that allows me to oversee the process and be ahead of the property manager in some stuff and keep them accountable, which is very, very, very important. You want to make sure that your property manager is uh, kept accountable, executing the vision and the plan that you have for the property. Wow. Making it happen. I love it. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. All right, Hadar, I've got three questions. I ask every guest on the show, are you ready? Absolutely. All right. Number one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? Sure, Tyler. So I would like to say, I, you know, I've been doing it for nearly two decades now, and there's a few good deals that I made uh, that were very profitable. But the latest deal that I've done that I bought this, uh, this 45 units uh, recently, um, turned it around with uh, just under 12 months, um, built up uh, close to, well, a million dollar worth of equity nice. within 12 months. And um, it was 30% vacant, economic vacancy, and the rents were close to 30% below market. So rents were about 450, 445 per unit. We're taking it up to uh, 625. 
And uh, that deal is uh, the reason I like it, not just because the equity built up, because I created that kind of uh, equity through other transactions in New Zealand, through condo conversions and various other strategies I implemented. The, the, the reason I like this deal so much is because uh, the refi and roll option here is that, uh, that, you know, I am able to refinance all my money out plus extra and still cash flow significantly after year one. So we, we're talking, you know, about $60,000 a year um, cash flow uh, on after, after refi with no money left in the deal. So it's actually more than that, but I'm being really conservative. So for me, that's, that's, that's uh, what we, we came to do. And, and, we, and, I've, and, and I'm, I'm really happy about this result. And I will do a deal like that anytime. <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome. So we had the best deal. Now we go to the other side of that coin, the worst deal. What is the worst investment you ever made? Okay. So the worst investment, I'll give you one, which is the worst in my view. But I think that in the end of the day, if you manage to learn from things that you do and don't work according to your plan, if you learn from it and you look at it like that, then, you know, it's not a negative thing that you carry with you for the rest of your life or, or you know, a chip on your shoulder, because I, I don't believe in that. So the worst investment I've done is when I sold some assets in Israel, I, I, when I first immigrated to here, I, I wasn't able to actually uh, buy real estate here. Uh, so I, was, uh, I had to put money in, uh, in I, and I wanted to kind of to put money in stock, stock and bonds. Uh, so... I bought some stocks of, uh, in, in that case, it's a French third largest bank. It was giving a very good return back in, uh, I think it was 08 or 09. It was giving 9 or 10% returns. It, it was a three, it was, I think it was a double A rating bank, you know. Uh, but because of, because of the global financial crisis that that bank had an exposure to, to the, Greek, the Greek debt back then, and that it was Credit Agricole Bank and it was another bank, actually. It was a, a, a bank from the Netherlands, I think, a Robobank as well. So the, the value of the stock, let's say you put 100 buck, 100,000 in, the value has gone down by 50 and, or 50%, and some of them gone by about 40%. So the lesson was that um, you can't control an asset like that because you can't control the bank, you can't control the stock market, especially, uh, specifically if you're not going to be an expert in it. And I certainly wasn't interested to be trading in the stock market, in the share market, as we call it here. And uh, yeah, I, I, I realized that it wasn't the right investment. I had no control. The portfolio manager did not alert me, for example, when the value started to drop. And uh, I would have made a choice. Maybe I would have made a choice when it's gone from 100, for example, to 80,000. Maybe I would have sold if I wanted the money to, for real estate or something like that. That case, I wasn't alert. One day I walked up six or eight months down the track and it was worth from 100, let's say 60,000. So that's not, that's not acceptable to me and, and, and I learned from it. And since then, I don't really support personally investing in the stock market. I, I will diversify within real estate. I will diversify with other classes that I perhaps understand and, uh, and, and can control. You know, that's just one of those, uh, those of assets. I can force appreciation. I can cash flow. I know what the intrinsic value of it. Okay, it's a little bit less liquid, but if you buy right real estate, you can pretend, unless you're in the middle of the global financial crisis, <laughs> if you buy it right, you'll be able to sell it and not make a loss because you have enough meat on the bone to, to offload it. So you at least preserve your capital. 
see, and in that particular case, um, I learned that he, the, also the manager didn't really watch my back. It, it wasn't his best interest. The best interest is to just collect fees. So that's number one. Number two, I can give you a couple of small examples. I won't get into much details. I, uh, I read a book about a US, US guy, uh, investor, very, very well known, uh, and I don't have to mention his name, but he, he bought some uh, land from a sh- abandoned land. So I looked for it and I wasn't really, it was way back in oh, 2010 or 2000, something around there. I found an abandoned land in the paper and I ended up buying it for like six grand. And then I tried to sell it and couldn't sell it for a long time. And I ended up, I don't think I lost money on it, but I think I didn't make much at all. So that was just a waste of time trying to do strategies, but you don't understand, don't work. And specifically that in my market. Uh, and another deal that didn't work well, lesson learned, is the is a deal that I've done quite a few years ago now. It's a small development that we've gone into. Um, we were quite hungry to do a deal, me and another partner, uh, and the ground up construction. We needed to have a, a consent by a neighbor that will allow us to uh, shift the the stormwater, if you like, and the sewage lines to the boundary. It was in the middle of our property. We didn't want a bridge on top of it to build those houses. We wanted to uh, to shift it into the boundary. The neighbor said he's going to be good as gold with it. He's going to have any problem, you know, signing the document. Um, you know, eight months to 12 months down the track, he wasn't, he wasn't cooperating. And it was, it was, we really got stuck. And uh, the market changed in New Zealand as well back then because the government introduced some restrictions on 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 on, on the loan to value. So, you know, even if we wanted to sell the project with the consent, which a lot of people did, they got the raw land, they changed the zoning, they got they got the the consent, and they were able to 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 sell it with the building consent as higher density with permits and everything in the plans for a developer to finish the job. So a lot of people did money like that, a lot of money, hundreds of thousands from from one transaction, good returns. 30% roughly return on, on your investment. So anyway, once they changed the LVR, we got stuck with this property and uh, we, we couldn't sell it in Harry and we just sold it and lost a bit of money. But it was very good lesson learned. Never be motivated to get into a deal too much. When you, when you need other people's signatures that are crucial for, for your upside, Get it up front before you before you go hard or before you go uh, unconditional or before you got the no return kind of point that you know if they don't do it you're screwed. So that that's a good lesson learned. My favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson that you've learned in business and investing? It's a very good uh, very good uh, question. I had to think about it, and uh, I, again I don't think that there there is one answer. I think that uh, I can answer it in, in, with few different bits and pieces just solidified because there's no one thing you, you can do to be successful. There's a combination of things that comes together and create success in my view. But on a, shooting from the hip to answer this question, I wrote down cash flow. You see, that was cash flow is the lifeblood of, of any business. If the property is not cash flow, you're not going to weather the storm. You see, and that's very, very important. Cash flow is king. It's for a reason. And it took me a while to actually understand that. When I first invest, started investing in real estate, again, I'm talking, you know, long time ago now, nearly two decades, I first got in and I started buying those uh, properties that they weren't multiple income properties. They weren't multifamily. They weren't, for example, even a fourplex or a triplex or a quad. They weren't uh, mobile home parks or self-storage. It was just a house sitting on a section. 
And what I didn't realize is, especially in my market, when the price to rent ratio wasn't so cash flowing. Um, okay, so you got two factors when you buy a house. One, if the price to rent ratio is not good, you can only buy few of them and then your leverage lock because the, even the asset himself is not generating cash flow for you to be able to go and borrow more money based on the cash flow of the assets that you bought, the houses that you bought are generating because the price to rent ratio doesn't cash flow. That's number one. So here you got, that's how I got stuck. Number two, when you buy a single house on that particular point, if you go vacant, you're 100% vacant. If you buy a multifamily with 20 units or even a fourplex, if you got one or two vacancies, you still possibly, which is according to my underwriting deal analyzing criteria, is uh, you're going to break even. So your margin, if you like, the break even point is much more generous if you buy multiple income properties. And I, I did not know that when I started reading real estate. I, I, I got to know that maybe three or four years in. So I had to reshuffle my portfolio and focused on cash flow. And that leads to the cash flow answer. That's, that multiple incomes uh, supports cash flow, which helps you to weather the storm. Another quick point about, about being successful is very important. I have to touch on this, is education. You need to get yourself educated, again, to shorten your timeline to success with, with, with what you, you know. You, you don't know what you don't know. So it's very, very important. Very, very important. Proximity. Proximity is very important. We talked about it earlier. I'm, I'm not sure if we even recorded that, but partly we did. Surround yourself with like-minded people, whether it's a paid mastermind, whether it's just your local RIA, whether it's on bigger pocket. You want to go you want to go beyond bigger pocket or something which is just special. You want to really form those relationships because proximity relationships with professional within the industry as well, once you choose a market and walk in the market is key because real estate is a team sport. Very, very, very important. Don't ever, don't ever overcapitalize on dealers as well. That's another point. When you, do, when you go, do a property, if you're renovating a property, whether it's a flip, whether it's an apartment building, do what's necessary to achieve your target, to achieve your goals, but don't overspend, don't overcapitalize because if you, if you overspend on things which, are, which you're not going to get enough return on them, that's, not, that's emotional. That's not a business cut, cut clear uh, decision. And the last point, Tyler, and I'm going to finish this answer, is avoid the shiny object syndrome. You want to enjoy, avoid the shiny object syndrome because the, the, as, as the one thing book as well goes, and it's very, very impo important to be focused on, on one thing, get it done right, get it mastered, and you'll see the great result that you, that you, you, need, you, you can achieve. I did real estate when I started. I had some times that I had deal flow wasn't that great. And I started looking at other things like uh, uh, online marketing, business directories to sell things and bits and pieces to get, but I lost focus on real estate, you know? And even within real estate, I started doing, trying to do some lease options and sandwich lease options and bits and pieces. And, you know, stick to what you know. Once you master it, you can deviate. So very important, avoid the shiny object sy syndrome. That shiny object syndrome, I think it's a big one for me. And I, I know there are many other people out there that need to hear that uh, once again. So, so important. Well, thank you for joining us today and teaching us all of these great lessons. If folks want to get in touch with you, if they want to learn about your mastermind, they want to learn, get some of the videos, whatever, where can they find you? Absolutely. So the best place to find me is on the mihmastermind.com website. 
there is uh, an education tab over there. We have some free education. We have some links to our uh, real estate deal analyzing tool, which it's good for uh, passive investors if they want to get familiarized themselves about how to analyze deals in a relatively uh, easy way. It's for active investors, for partnerships, very, very good uh, tool. And we also got some other courses that we offer. They're all reasonably priced. And you got some free education and the link to this how to invest from other area uh, video course. And uh, that's a free one you can get. And I'm happy to share the link with you. Awesome. Well, thank you for joining us once again to everybody out there. Thank you for tuning in. This is Drinking from a Fire host today. So much great information. And I encourage you to go back and listen if there's anything that you might have missed. Thank you for tuning in, everybody. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. It's very much appreciated. It helps other people learn about the show. If you know anyone who could use a little bit more passive wealth in their lives, please share the show with them and bring them into the tribe. Hadar, thanks for joining us once again. Thank you. Thank you so much, Tyler. I appreciate it. It was good fun. Great spending time with you. To everybody out there, I hope you have a great rest of your day and a great week. And we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.